The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always to look at something slightly different this week, but also kind of the same, is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you doing, sir? Oh, it's a bittersweet day, mate. It's a bittersweet day. These end of series uh, shows always are. Well, I say end of series, and you know, it's the last... Um, the last special that we're covering. It's, mm. I just can't believe the end of season four has come around so quick. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been very fast. We, we said it all season, though, haven't we? How quickly we got through what we were doing. Mm. You know, it's... Uh... Sorry, did that come through? Sorry, there's been an iPad left near that's still on loud. I don't know if you heard that. If that came up. No, I didn't hear No, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> Sorry, Freddie. Obviously, anybody listening can't say this. But, you know, when you get that notification, diddle-loom. Yeah, like is the, just, the role just, of the most general manager. That just went off behind me now. So what the fuck was that? <laughs> I ain't cutting any of this out. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> this has got to be released tomorrow. I ain't got time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Everybody already knows I'm a dumb fuck. It's fine. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. Not too bad. Not too bad. Start my new job tomorrow, so... Hopefully, after a week or two, you know, get some money coming in. Things will return to some level of normalcy, I hope, anyway. But we are not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about something I have never seen before, Dan. And yeah, I'm assuming that, that... Yeah, well, yeah. And I'm assuming that you've not seen... Well, it's a movie, so what do you expect? Uh, I'm assuming you've not seen it either? Nope, never seen it. I've seen the Dalek invasion of Earth. Uh, the movie version that would be Peter Cushing, but uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks is a new one on me. Okay, I've not seen Dalek Invasion of Earth, the Peter Cushing movie either. I've not seen either of them until today. Did you watch both? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I hadn't seen it. No, <laughs> I hadn't seen either of them until today when I saw this one for the very first time. Uh, oh. I've been, I finished it about thirty-five minutes or so before we were due to record. It's. This is going to be an interesting conversation, I think. Um, yeah. Basically, what we're looking at today, uh, lovely loyal listeners of ours, is the 1965 movie Doctor Who and the Daleks, which was made by a different production company, uh, has different cast members and so on playing familiar characters. And it's very odd for me. Apparently, the production company that uh, made this bought the rights from i think it was story and, and the characters and, and so on obviously terry nation is the guy who has the rights to all the dalek stuff but it, it cost them all, all in all 500 quid wow. so yeah um and, and the, when they made the film the budget was you know 150 odd thousand to make which i think equates to like what well, i read online like three and a half million in today's money um the biggest thing for me from this, and this is something I'm going to be quite interested in getting your take on, is this story is the Doctor Who 
well, not, not Doctor Who and the Daleks. It was just called The Daleks, released in 1963. Now, we've watched the very first uh, Doctor Who serial for part of the show with the uh, the, the debut episode from 63. And then um, it, it ends up being a, a four-parter with the, the, the cavemen and so on. And we, we both agreed that the first episode was very good. The next three weren't particularly strong. Mm. At the end of that story when the TARDIS disappears and then reappears, what followed on from there, the next week on the, the, the original television show, is the story we've got here in the movie. So that's, you know, interesting from my standpoint, because I'm assuming you've not seen the original black and white story from, from those days. I haven't, no, no I didn't go, on to, uh, didn't go on to watch that. Um, I, I maybe watched two minutes, but that's as far as I got. Right, okay. There's... A great deal of this story. Well, I say a great deal. It's pretty much the same, the same script, effectively, the same story, but with certain aspects, you know, cut shorter or changed or moved around for the sake of the film. Mm. So it is, it is very strange for me watching it because there are so many moments in this that are lifted directly from the original 1963 black and white TV show uh, with the when the Daleks made their first appearance. Mm. And obviously the first thing we notice with this is that we've got the same characters here, but in different guises. We've got the Doctor, obviously, but on this occasion played by Peter Cushing. Apparently William Hartnell was incredibly upset that he wasn't given the opportunity to, to play the Doctor in this movie. But the, the, the company making this film, the production company and so on, they w- went with Cushing because he was seen as being more of an international star and they were trying to, um, especially, especially in the States, but trying to make a breakthrough into other countries with this. Mm. So that's, that's the, that's the one reason for that. But what gets me straight away is the roles or, or the portrayal of the different characters. And we've got the same TARDIS team from the very beginning of the program with Ian and Barbara, and then the doctor's granddaughter, Susan. However, in this version Barbara is also the doctor's granddaughter. Ian is just popping around because he's taking Barbara out on a date. Neither of them are listed as being the, the teachers, which is how the original series began. Yeah. And Susan in the black and white series, the original, she's, I think like 16, I think 15, 16, something like that. In yeah. this, she's like nine or 10, I believe. Yeah. It's, it's for, for, Someone who's watched the TV series, this is this is sort of quite jarring, but it also yeah. highlights perfectly one of the differences, and, I, and I'm using that word, but neither as a, as a positive or a negative. Um, but it's one of the differences between uh, sort of small screen and big screen. This is very much designed to be accessible to first time Doctor Who watchers. So people who are just people who are taking a punt on it, you know, taking it on a whim. And we'll sort of dive into the differences in the characters, but having more of a sort of family dynamic between three of the characters and then the sort of changes they make to to Ian in general and 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 Susan being that much younger, it all lends itself to a much broader audience than uh, than the TV show, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I totally get that. Um, I mean, I don't know if anyone listening will, will be in this situation, but I'm curious as to know to know the thoughts of anyone who saw this movie back in the day 
and how they reacted to it. Because, I mean, we're looking at a film here that's, you know, pushing 60 years old. And, and the TV show it's based upon is literally 60 years old um, this year. So we're looking at it very much from, you know, years and years later and the comparison we have and having watched much more Doctor Who since. I wonder if anyone out there listening to the to the podcast and please reach out and, and get in touch on on twitter or facebook at the doctor who pod if anyone watched this at the time when it was released in 65 having been a fan of the program as well in the 60s i'm, I'm curious to know the reception that people would have given it i mean because you look online and you can read reception or, or you know the sort of critics viewpoint of the time and then those who review it again i mean there's quotes by tom baker in the 70s when there was another mention of a doctor who film being made mm. uh, tom baker himself said well they made two previously and they're rubbish and all this sort of stuff so we've got those viewpoints i'm more curious as to somebody who may have actually seen it at the time if that makes sense yeah i can understand that and, and it's because it's an immediate sort of tonal shift and, and an immediately different experience purely for the fact that I believe this is the first time that Doctor Who was filmed in colour. Yes, yes. And, and the opening, it, it's not the sort of slightly spooky, eerie TV opening. The, the opening music, the, the font, the colour schemes, it reminded me of something like the Pink Panther or one of the old Tom and Jerry cartoons with just like a, with just a smidge of bomb thrown into it. Oh mate, it's obviously it's 1965, so it's a bit of a silly statement. But this is so 1960s, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's very 1965. Yeah, I can see. I'll tell you what it reminded me of. I'll tell you what it reminded me of. Hmm. Um, especially like the scenes where well, the, the the film opens like you said with all the graphics and and the the, the colours and all that sort of stuff, and then we get the opening scene of. Susan sat reading a big book with huge bold letters on it, stating that she, you know, basically saying she's very, very clever and she's reading this science book. <laughs> that, that, that is, it's like subtlety is not a strong point for this movie. No, for physics and, for the inquiring mind. There we go. There we go. And then you got Barbara also reading a book called Science, uh, Science for Science or something along those lines. The Science of Science. There we go. There we go. And then the doctor himself is also reading something as well. He's reading a comic book. But yeah. So this, this opening, right, and it's going to be a running theme throughout. For a lot of this, it feels like they were aiming for Disney. Okay. For like, for like a Disney-style production. And even this opening with the house and and whatnot, it, it's very Mary Poppins to me. Um, just And obviously, it, it, again, sign of the times, because, you know, it's a... It's very much like, you know, well, for people our age, you know, it's like, you, it's almost like your grandparents' living room and things like that with all, you know, all the, all the fancy plates on display and shit and the ornaments and shit like that. Um, but then it's it's the way that Ian comes in and he's immediately a slapstick character. Oh my God, we're going to get to Ian in just a moment. But, it's, um, but, the, the, but, that's, but that's where the part of where the, the Mary Poppins idea comes into bed because... He's like Dick Van Dyke's character in Mary Poppins. Yes. But, yes. but without knowing what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the vibe, you said about Mary Poppins, I, that doesn't even enter my mind, but now you said that, it, it's it's right there. It's, it's glaring. It, it's right in my face. I'm amazed I didn't pick up on that myself. You're absolutely spot on. What I got from this and certain other moments, especially when, not so much when they travel off in the TARDIS or, or 
TARDIS, because it's not called the TARDIS here. That pissed mm-hmm. me off a great deal, but we'll get into that. The the vibe I got, especially when they were still on Earth or they were talking uh, and they were moving from the house to the TARDIS, and you had you have that kind of 1960s background music playing to suit what's going on on screen. So if they're, if they're walking from one place to another, it's just in the background and all that sort of stuff, right? And the way it's filmed and the and, and the, the colour that it's filmed in and the style, the production and so on, it just felt like an episode of I Dream of Genie or Bewitched. <laughs> Again, very, very much of the time. Yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah. the vibes I got from it, you know? But again, you know, that all plays into it being made for from from mainstream moviegoers. Mm. And I stress moviegoers because Doctor was obviously already on the small screen and and I believe doing quite doing well at this point. You know, it was mm. an established series. Didn't have a great budget or anything like that. Um, but like I say, this was designed to to bring moviegoers in. So having that familiarity in the way it's shot and the, the musical score and aiming for something a bit Disney, it, it does make a lot of sense. Mm, yeah, I get you. I'm not, say, I'm not saying I 100% like it, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, this is something else I was going to ask you about later on, but I might as well bring it up now. Uh, you're never really going to know. This is all just you know hypotheticals and so on. But your introduction to Doctor Who, uh, as we've stated numerous times on the show, was the 1996.2 movie. Yeah. Right. And then you you know you, you watched the the reboot and all that sort of stuff. If you hadn't seen well now it down sorry if you hadn't seen any Hartnell era already for the podcast mm. or in or in any other occasions you watched any any classic who and this was your first I suppose dipping your toe into We'll call it Classic Who, even though it's not part of, of Classic Who. If this was the first bit of Classic Who you had seen, do you think you'd have a different viewpoint than if you were watching it now as you are having seen plenty of Classic Who for the podcast? Not necessarily, no. Okay. Um, because I have tried to put biases aside and, and understand what the, you know, what the producers and writers and directors were going for. Uh, and all the rest of it. It, it, even though with, you know, the, what I think what they've done is try and make Peter Cushing's doctor effectively the opposite of William Harnell's um, and make, because again, it's more big screen accessible. And so I think if I'd have watched this film, I'd have come out of it much the same as I went, as I went into it now where I've watched it and thought that was pleasant enough. What's the next thing? Okay. Um, it, it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to say without giving away my sort, of, my sort of overall thoughts on it because this was fine overall. There's elements I didn't like. There's elements I very much did like. Um, but it, it, it's, not one that I, it's not one that I'd rushed back to watch, but it's one that I could watch again. If I if I needed to, or you know, say a few years past, and you think, oh yeah, I remember that. I'll give it a watch. See if it's better. See if it's better than I thought on my first watch. Okay. In that case, then I think we're going to have maybe slightly differing opinions. Um, cards on the table. I'll, I'll come straight out with it now. I fucking hated this. 
Um. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, thought, I, I, honestly, I honestly thought you were going to say you loved it then. But this is the thing, right? If, if I had my Doctor Who TV show fan hat on, and I was and I was really wanting to look for ways to rip this apart, I could do it. Yeah, I could really do it. Um, the and it, a lot of it's based in, initially in the recharacterization, particularly of Ian, mm. because at the at the start he's a fucking idiot. Not he's, just at he's the a, start. Well, no, but there is there is a, there is a slight character arc for Ian in that it becomes slightly less dumb. But yeah, he's just he's there for for slapstick comedic effects. But again, that was very much part of sort of part of entertainment at the time. Right. Yeah. Okay. It, it was it was still part of the comedic styling, and so I can see what they were aiming for. You know, when he accidentally see, when the doctor mistakes Ian's chocolates as gifts for him and. He's saying, "Oh, the soft senses, and you know the the Batra's favourite." And he, the doctor just sets him down on a chair, and Ian, Ian sits on him. That that might have been funny in nineteen sixty five. It, it uh. potentially was, um, but it doesn't necessarily hit now. It's just I can see what they were going for. But in terms of recharacterizations, it's weird how this is called Doctor Who and the Daleks, and the Doctor so often takes a back seat. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, again, I think this, and this is, I think this is something we have to do for season five, which we're going to start. I'm assuming pretty much as soon as season four finishes, roughly. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I know where we always have plans to get it as random as possible. And next season is going to be like absolute carnage, as you were it with previous guests choosing stories for us and and mm. uh, and so on. I think after the movie, whether we do it as a bonus episode or as part of season five, we have to watch the Daleks. From 1963. Okay. Because you mentioned there about how the Doctor kind of almost takes a back seat in this story. That's exactly how it was back then in the 60s. The main characters were written to be Ian and Barbara. And the Doctor was supposedly this... Well, we see it in what we've seen already, don't we? Mm. Quite a grumpy, nasty, whatever character that softens over time. But initially, he was not the main focus of the show obviously he's a very prominent part of the show of course he is but ian and barbara are supposed to be the two main especially in the first couple of series a couple of stories the the main characters because we're we're sort of almost living through their eyes now i know we do that with companions in later years of course especially Mm -hmm. in, in classic who more so than new who i think but here it was really prominent and almost written intentionally that way so seeing the doctor almost being not an afterthought, but not as prominent as we're used to in later stories here in this movie, it does kind of make sense for me knowing how the original story was done as well. The issue I've got is in the original story. Ian's not a fucking idiot in the original (laughs) story. Ian is written as a cardigan wearing hero. And here I think we lose quite a bit from that original tale, that original, I think it's a six-parter, I, I think, on, on the original mm. show. We lose a bit, I think, because we don't have that almost, I don't want to say hero or, or leading man well, role. I, I feel like... Sorry, go on. Sorry, no, I, I'd need to see it, but from what you've told me there, the, the dynamic between Ian, 
the Doctor, well, Ian and the Doctor, let's say, in the series, Ian's very much man of action. Will and from what I've seen, you know, we'll we'll go along with it, but we'll you know we'll defer to the Doctor now and again. Yeah. Um, and the Doctor's very much this. You know, well, he's a grumpy bugger, isn't he? But he's obviously the smartest person in any given room. Uh-huh. So you can tell that there's a bit of a, a power struggle in the whole sort of group dynamic. Spot on. Absolutely Between the two. Yeah, in, yeah, totally. in this, while the Doctor is presented and obviously has a vast amount of intelligence, he's also portrayed as a scatterbrained, doddery old biffer. Yeah. Which doesn't help when the other leading, sort of, well, I suppose the other leading role, let's say, uh, with Ian, is a complete fuckwit as well. Oh, totally. You just uh, end up Barbara, with you just end up with two morons. Yeah, totally, totally. And then we look at the rest of the the, the group, I suppose, the the, the, the sort of um, Tardis team, for want of a better phrase. We've got Barbara, who is, I, I, I think, is just put in the movie as eye candy. Because you know mm. that that's the way it is, and at least still see that in films nowadays. Of course, she doesn't really. She's pretty one-dimensional. She's just kind of there. She doesn't really contribute much at all. Um, but she's not terrible in in any way, shape, or form. But she's just kind of there as part of the group, mm. which to me leads in a roundabout way, almost by a process of elimination. It means that the eleven-year-old girl Susan is kind of the main. I wouldn't say main character, but kind of the most action filled. She gets a lot done in this film, doesn't she? But then again, she does, yeah. But that has to be then intentional because, as I've just said before, this is all, this has got Mary Poppins and Disney vibes to it. So that is ultimately the 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 goal. I right. think. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, it's gearing towards a movie for everybody, which includes young people. Um. You know, at this point, Disney's still, you know, well, Disney has been nearly 100 years, you know, cranking out movies, making money hand over fist. Um, here, I think they were, I just got the vibe through the whole movie that that's what they were trying to capture. You know, okay. aging, you know, aging the Susan character down. Um, you know, it's a very easy thing, you know, but kid in peril. Everybody's going to relate to that on some level. Mm-hmm. Kid. Doing, you know, going against the odds and pulling something heroic. We've seen it time and time again. It, it, it's 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 very easily relatable and, and sort of gets over with everybody to use the wrestling parlance. You know, kids are going to love it. Parents are going to be looking at it, saying, "Oh, ain't that nice?" You know, mm. it's it's essentially removed a lot of the the edge that was on the TV show, if you like. I'll tell you what, you're absolutely spot on there. With that, removed a lot of the edge. Yeah, because the TV show was desire was was a little bit spooky. Mm. A, you know, we hear stories from from you know people in, in the older generations who watched it live saying how scared they used to be. Yes, a, do- a Doctor My mum and dad say the same thing. When Doctor Who first started airing in in sixty three, my dad was born in uh, fifty four, mm. so he'd have been nine, and he, he says he can't remember much about it now because obviously we're talking six odd years ago but he can remember being absolutely terrified of certain episodes. He can't pinpoint which ones or what, what scared him, but he said he, him and his friends used to talk and be absolutely sodding terrified about it. Mm. Yeah, but a, a Doctor Who horror movie in 1965 isn't going to fly. It's going to make no money. 
ironically, they got Peter Cushing as well. So they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, the Hammer Horror icon. Um, yeah. So they had to go a different direction. They had to make it accessible for everybody, but relatable to everybody. And ultimately, they, they have done that. But it's become a bit of a nondescript, generic thing. Mm. You know, I, I, it, 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 it's so much of it is, I, I think the phrase is cookie cutter. Right, yeah, okay. Where it's uh, maybe a little bit predictable, a little bit bland. It's, but it's not necessarily bad. I, th- I think it's worse. I think it almost makes it worse for the fact that it's, it's not offensively bad. It's it's ultimately a bit forgettable. Right. Okay. Um, like, I think that's that's part of the problem. You mentioned about the edge not being there. Hmm. This is something that I've I've kind of noticed throughout certain scenes in this. And again, I've got the I've got the viewpoint of being able to compare it to the original show. There are moments in this movie that are really. I mean, it's been a few years since I watched the the black and white dalek's original series but there are moments in this movie that have been watered down or yeah i wouldn't say skirted over but not dealt with in the same kind of vigor and excitement as they are in the program Mm. and i think it really takes away from certain scenes and we'll get into it in a moment but i mean initially the the biggest difference i suppose straight away is the doctor his name is doctor who his surname oh, is who? Oh no, that yeah. really that boiled my pit. And he's not an alien. He's just a, a scientist who who lives in uh, Britain, and he just happened to to have invented TARDIS. Not the TARDIS. He's he's invented TARDIS in a police box and so on. But again, much more accessible to people who might be watching this for the first time in a cinema in a cinema environment. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I get that. And also as well, I, I don't know if it would be intentional or what, I don't know, but the Doctor being not human, shall we say, it's mm. it's touched upon and spoken about in the early shows, but it's never really confirmed until a couple of years later where he's from uh, and, and all of that, it's kind of left a bit of a mystery. So you could mm. touch upon it. Maybe he has human links or so. I don't know. I'm grasping a little bit there potentially, but, but there we go. Um, with regards to the beginning of this, there's a theme that develops throughout the show, throughout the movie, sorry, with Ian, not just being a bit of a knob, but that <laughs> <laughs> there's a theme that develops that really started to grate on me. The more and more things happened. Um, he's entered the room. He's, he's taking Barbara on, on a date and the doctor is there. And to be fair, I, I think there are moments where Peter Cushing is doing a little bit of a William Hartnell impression. Cause we're getting a, hmm? Ah, hmm? yes. Hmm? Okay. Hmm? Yeah. He decides, Oh, do you want to come and see my new invention? Cause he had nearly sits down on a part of it. And uh, he nearly sits down on the, on the super ionized electrokinetic preoscillator. And you don't want that going at your jacks, do you? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Um, it makes it well, bigger maybe. on the inside. <laughs> <For fuck's sake. laughs> hey, I tell you what, it's not often you get me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Ian's just like, Yeah, I'll come have a look then. And they take him out to the police box and he has a look and he's like, I don't understand how it's bigger on the inside and all that sort of stuff. 
Well, then, uh, Susan Handley explains that in electrokinetic theory, space expands to accommodate the time necessary to encompass its dimensions. Uh, of course. Uh, Naturally. Yes. But Ian's... Th- there's just certain moments where it just comes across like Ian's just not arsed at all. Yep. I think Is maybe it- Ian's just so preoccupied w- w- with getting Barbara into bed. That he's not bothered about time travel. He's not yeah. asked about Daleks. He keeps looking over at her and going, look, if I don't get my end away uh, when we're finished with all this, this has been a wasted afternoon. Uh, you know, that's kind of his mindset, I think. All his blood going out of his brain and into his dick would explain why he's such a dumb fuck. There we go. There we go. Because he nearly sits on the he sits on the chocolates. He nearly sits on the oscillator. He falls into the switch to send the TARDIS away. He, he's... He accidentally gets twatted on the head with a bit of tree when the TARDIS lands. Mm. It's oh, it's it's overdone on the slapstick, but like I say, that may that may have flown and been popular at the time. Um, mm. Like I say, it's still very much a still very much a Mary Poppins or you know or Disney sort of vibe. It's it it would have been very kid friendly. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did uh, like uh, as well the sorry, I'm just gonna say I did like as well the where Ian served a purpose and, and the were getting across quite well the, the dimensional difference between the exterior and interior of the TARDIS. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. that was good. It got it done quickly, concisely. I'm like, oh, that's odd. But then they just left it alone. It was that's that explained on to the next thing. Well, this is it. I mean uh, basically this guy, I mean Barbara in the original program, obviously, we've seen Barbara and Ian discover the TARDIS, go inside, have that moment and be like, oh my God, what and you know, and they, they portray it quite well. In the in the movie here, of course, they've already been in the TARDIS by this point in the TV show, but for the sake of the movie, they've got to start it again, obviously. Mm. Ian's the only one who's new to this. As opposed to the TV show where it's Ian and Barbara. Barbara here is apparently related to the doctor in the movie and they're related to Susan. They're all familiar with what their grandfather is working on. They're all familiar with this blue box in in their garden that's somehow bigger on the inside. And they don't. They're all just like, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> Ian walks in and he's just like, oh, okay, righto. And then he falls on something and they time travel a little bit and they're in this petrified forest. Is a term that keeps coming up. And they they they've moved effectively. They they're in this. You know, everyone knows how Doctor Who works. They're in this blue box that's bigger on the inside, and they've just moved from where they were. Ian opens the door, and it's a completely alien world to him. And all he, he kind of does is just go, "Yeah, all right. Well, I need to get back from my dinner. Really, it's it, just it's, he should be freaking out. Yes, he yes, absolutely exactly. should, be, he should be. He should be losing his fucking mind and terrified. But yeah, he's it, it, it's like, oh, well, this happens every day. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's it's a bit odd and a bit annoying, um, and again, like I say, it's, I'm, I'm probably going to be a bit generous to this when it gets to the sort of the wrap up show next week, but I can, I can still I can see what they were going for. Um, it doesn't mean they necessarily executed it mm. um, executed correctly. Uh, the only thing is that. Ian does sell it briefly when he looks outside and he comes back in and and all that, and then he gets called out by Susan, a child, for being a coward. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that sort of you know, that may bring him out, you know, and try and get him to 
sort of stiff upper lip his way through it. But yeah, he's it, very quick to accept the situation. I think that's uh, that's a problem. We get we also established pretty early on. Now, I don't mind this. I think it's quite quite funny that Susan's just a little smart ass and very capable. She's she's fantastic for me, by the way. Yeah, I've, oh, yeah she's she is. brilliant. But it's when the you know the doctor's knocking around and he's saying, "Oh look, they're in this barren planet and they find a flower." And, oh, it's a tulip, and she says, "No, it's a liliandum. Uh, no, it's a lilium philadelphicum." And then Ian, the fucker, she pulls it out, gives it, gives the flower to Ian, and he fucks it up and crushes it. Ham-handed motherfucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Roberta Tovey, who played Susan in this movie, and I love this story. This is this is fantastic. She is brilliant. Apparently, the majority of what she does in this movie, she did in one take. Shit, and hell. The motivation for that was the director or producer or someone on set, I believe it was the director, basically said to her, an agreement just between the two of them, he'd give her a shilling if every take she could do in one take. Brilliant. Just between the two of them. And it motivated her, and she just banged stuff out of the park. She the issue the fucking cleaners. <laughs> well, this is it. The issue with that is when they came back to make what I suppose you might refer to as the sequel, the, the Dalek invasion of Earth 2150 AD and the following year in, in 66. Mm. They, he said, I'm not doing that again because it cost me too much money. Tosser. Which is, I think that's, uh, yeah, Tosser. But on the other side of the coin, that's brilliant because <laughs> it shows how oh, yeah. great she was first time round, you know? Yeah, she, she, she's she's a real highlight of this movie. She's, you know, but, but again, this that aspect would have played really well with most audiences. Going to the cinema, yeah. you know, regardless of if you think Ian's a dick or you think the Doctor's a a bit of a you know pointless old duffer, apart from when he decides to be smart and you know as much as um, as much as Barbara can be just a spare part. Um, mm-hmm. The kid does really well, and and is and is is the focal point of the movie. Essentially, Susan is the centre of everything that goes on. And I think once once I sort of got my head around that, and that it's you know that made it a bit better for me. And I'm not once I got my head around that, I wasn't expecting too much from the Doctor. I wasn't expecting much from me, and I wasn't expecting much from Barbara. Mm. Yeah, it was just okay. a sort of a quick adjustment in perspective. I mean, effectively, what we get is pretty pretty similar to what we have in the original TV show. Uh, we have everyone leaving the TARDIS, going for a little bit of a walk around. Everyone leaving TARDIS, sorry. Going for a fuck's sake. Going for a just, walk just, around. Just, this, just say that, please. Yeah, yeah I will. <laughs> going for a walk around this petrified forest. That There's been something has occurred on this planet to kill everything, and, and the trees are collapsing when they touch them. Everything's dried out and wrecked and so on. They encounter a some sort of alien life form, a monster on 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 the deck that is also frozen and petrified and collapses when Ian falls over it. The clumsy piece of crap. And then they <laughs> and then they see a city, and the Doctor wants to go and explore the city. Susan also wants to go and explore the city, which is a little bit different to what we have in the original original show, but that's for us to look at another day. Ian. Barbara saying, ah, come on, let's just get back home, shall we? Yeah. So we then get a ridiculously over-the-top cheesy wink from the Doctor to Susan to go, oh, yes, we'll go back to the TARDIS then. Wink, wink. And they head back to the TARDIS. 
the doctor basically the TARDIS can't take off because there's an issue with the fluid link, which we touched upon in a previous episode recently, Dan, if you remember. Okay, um, where's going to be fluid links now? Well, there was a throwback to it, wasn't there, in, in a new Who episode that we covered recently, which I which yeah. I loved. But this again is all part of the original story that we get from the TV show. They need Mercury to replace the fluid link, so the Doctor suggests, "Well, we'll have to go to the city." Uh, there's a box left outside with uh, almost like a present with some sort of drugs in, which we'll come to again shortly. But we did have that moment as well that was, uh, I suppose, would have been maybe scary for kids when uh, when Susan sees something and feels a hand try and tap her on the shoulder in the forest. Yes, that is true. That is true. Um, they they basically are going to get Mercury f- for the fluid link from the city. And again, this is all following the the original story. Some little tweaks and turns and different touches here. And ever. This is the general gist of it. Mm. Everyone starts to feel poorly. And we find out that this is because of radiation sickness or radiation poisoning, which has caused what we've seen earlier on with the petrified forest. We then get to the point where Barbara gets separated. Now, at the very end of the first episode in the original 63 TV show, there's this iconic moment where Barbara is running from something, ends up with her back against the wall, clambering to get away, and all we see is the plunger coming towards her, and then the music hits. Really iconic scene. Here... And obviously the Doctor, Ian, and um, Susan also get captured by uh, what we then discover to be a gang of Daleks later on. Here, it wasn't handled anywhere nearly as well for me. And it comes yeah. back to what you said previously about taking the edge away. Yeah. It, it's a, even for someone who's never seen this before and not seen the, the TV serial, it was a very... Matter of fact, Dalek reveal, and then you've also to say as well that what you've just run through there very quickly, actually on screen, took a while. This movie's an hour and twenty minutes. Yes. So the equivalent of let's if we if we took sort of twenty five minutes per, you know per per episode twenty twenty five minutes per series, it's equivalent of a four or five parter. Yeah, yeah. It it took you know it, it took a fair while. Well, it um, does in the original as well, mind. I mean, like I said, the we don't see a Dalek until episode two. Yeah. We see that scene I just mentioned with, with Barbara almost clambering against a, a wall or a door or something. And the plunger, that's the first we see of them. And well, it takes the whole of the first episode to get through this, let's go to the forest, let's go to the city, the Doctor being mm. um, uh, being a bit sneaky, a bit of a scamp with the old fluid link nonsense and all that sort of stuff. That's the first episode of, of the show. Okay, no, fair enough. It, it's still it's still not a great reveal because Barbara, yes, Barbara's been isolated and she screams. The Doctor, Ian and Susan, they're all like walking the corridors, they hear sci-fi noises and they find what looks like a surveillance room. At which point, like you say, they get the Geiger counters, then the Doctor's big confession about the fluid link and they just turn around and there's shitloads of Daleks. Like where did they come from and how are they so damn quiet? Mm. It's just, it's just, Oh, here they are. These must be baddies. Right. The reveal where the doctor confesses about the fluid link, that there's nothing wrong with it. He's just been a bit of, as I said, a bit of a, a bit of a space traveling uh, scamp and it just made an excuse to get to the city to explore. Again, it's another moment where we have Ian sort of go, oh, all right then, and we just move on. 
in the original, Ian is pissed. Ian is really angry that the Doctor has placed them all in danger just because he wants yeah. to look around the city, and rightfully so. And again, I think it, it, it's amazing how you hit the nail on the head with your line of taking the edge away without having seen the original, because you are so accurate in that statement. It's beyond belief, Dan. I will straighten my tie, shake my head, and just bask in the praise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it, it's like I keep saying, it was made for a broad. It was made for a broader audience. It was it was made to appeal to as many people as possible. And in doing that, you lose a lot of what makes a thing pop great in the first place, or, or you know, niche popular, if you like. It's like I'm a big video game fan, and you see it all the time when something comes along and the first game in the series is really successful. And then maybe the sequel is too. The, the ones that spring to mind are the, the Batman games, Arkham City and Arkham Knight. Okay. Arkham Knight, brilliant. One of my top 10 games of all time. Really captures the sort of moody sort of danger of, of Batman really well. But in a very confined environment and you have to do all the stealth stuff and it, it's, it's excellent. The characters are handled really well. Arkham City follows on in the same vein. It's, again, one of the one of my top ten of all time. Bit of a bigger area, but you're still doing basically the same things. You just get a few more things to to mess around with, but it's still really well thought out. All the characters are really good, really faithful. And then the, an, another studio decided to have a go and do a prequel to all of that. And they took the elements that worked from the fir- from the first two games but wanted to put a bit more, you know, a bit of this, a bit of that in to try okay. and bring in a wider audience. And it's now just completely forgotten about because everybody just went, everybody who loved the games in the first place just went, oh, all right. right. I, mean, I, I bought it, I played it. But the other two I've played 10 times each. And that one I've, ne- I've never gone back to. And it, But it's because it was watered down from the other two. It just wasn't. It just wasn't the same as what made it popular in the first place. Yeah, I think that's so, really sorry for the long. Sorry for the long-winded explanation, but that's no, that's no. The best I could relate to it, and, and it and it one hundred percent does relate. I mean, long-winded or not, I don't think it was. But it, it, it you, again, you're hitting the nail on the head. You're spot on. They've taken elements of what made the the Doctor Who show so successful in the 60s and then elements of what made the daleks so huge i mean dalek mania was a thing it was it was it was insane i mean you only got to look at those documentaries made about how fanatical everyone was about these new creations on the tv screen Mm. and they've taken elements of it that made it successful made it that way and like you said tweaked it and changed it and watered it down and and again i'll come back to your saying literally they took the edge off and the Daleks themselves, I mean, we'll get into that now, I suppose. The Daleks are assholes. Yeah, and, and well, not, yeah. Uh, uh, not, in, uh, not in a way that the Daleks on the TV are evil and brutal and emotionless. Um, they're assholes in that they're just, uh, they're a bit thick. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they talk to each other like they're all a bit thick. And they the, talk the, to each other a lot. Oh, yeah. And this is the thing. I'm, I'm dunking on a lot of it because it deserves to be dunked on. 
Um, and like I say, I could absolutely rip this to shreds and make this all negative if I wanted to. But yeah, the, one of the major annoyances in this is the Daleks. And now we will do this. Yeah. But it's just, it, it's really uninspired dialogue delivered in a robot voice and people are going, yeah, that's Daleks, isn't it? Mm. it it's almost as if the fund, the either fundamentally understood or misunderstood what makes a Dalek scary or they've taken a bit away so they're not too frightening. Did you notice as well with regards to when the Daleks were talking? Because they do it a great deal. There's a lot of Dalek conversation in this. They just they love a chat, these Daleks. Did you notice as well, obviously, when the Daleks speak, especially so back in the in Classic Who, that's when their um, lights on the top of their domes flicker because mm. th- apparently that was done for the, the black and white era to show which Dalek was talking at any one time for the viewer. It's quite a clever little get around what they're doing. The person who created or, or had a role in producing this movie didn't know that was the case. So right. if you watch, obviously this isn't shot in sequence. There's lots of different mo- moments shot and it's all spliced together. You know, people know how they make TV and movies, of course. Certain scenes, the Daleks, are, 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 you know, their lights are flashing like you've left your hazard lights on on your car. They're just going <laughs> constantly whether they're talking or not. And then late in other scenes, they're only flashing when they're talking. Because apparently halfway through production of this film, the person who was involved in that aspect of the movie was told, oh, yeah, they're only supposed to go off when they're talking, mind. And this guy was like, oh, shit. (laughs) So that's that's why you get sort of certain scenes where the the, the lights are going crazy. The other scenes where they are are more as they should be, I suppose. Yeah. It's not something I noticed, to be honest, because obviously um, I am watching what's going on and paying attention, but oftentimes, especially when the dialects are talking, I'm, I'm you know paying attention to my notes, making sure I get down the dialogue and, and, and all the rest of it, even though a lot of it was just yeah. mundane bullshit. Yeah, um, I, I did get a little chuckle of one of, with one of Ian's pratfalls, and it's when they all get brought into the cell and the doctor just drops him on the floor. It's like, he'll be okay. <laughs> Um, th- that is again part of the original story. Uh, the f- one of the first, I suppose, good guys, the companions, whatever, to get shot at by a Dalek is Ian, mm. and he's effectively paralyzed from the waist down. That again happens in the original show, but in the movie, it's nowhere near as scary. And because we have it's a, this- a weak ass fire extinguisher. Yeah, and it is literally a fire extinguisher in the casing. That's how they did this, how they did this yeah. effect. Each of the Daleks had a fire extinguisher there, um, which is ironic, really, considering it's a fire extinguisher, because the original plan in production for the movie was that they were going to have flamethrowers. Whoa. And that was how, and that, yeah, and that was how they were going to be, um, you know, whenever the, the Daleks would fire, there would be flames coming out of the gun, and they'd add effects and all this sort of stuff. But apparently that was canned for three reasons. One was cost, even though they had a, modest budget for this movie they still had more money than the tv show but they still thought it was too expensive two it was from literally a health and safety standpoint people in the studio were like yeah we can't do that and three (laughs) it was because of uh, they didn't want it to be too scary for younger viewers watching the movie so again it comes back to your point yeah your point about it being almost disney mary poppins-esque they're aiming at but again i feel by doing that they've took away a great deal of what made the original series original series great and edgy and so on. I mean, the original series, we get the, the close up of the Daleks gun and the little bits of paper shooting in and out of it to make it look like it's firing. And, you know, mm. for, for 
1963 and the effects they had is what it is. But then the, the negative is put on screen to the actual camera roll that we're normally used to. And again, for that time, really effective. And when you're seeing people die or get paralyzed and, and the whole screen's turning on and off into this negative effect, that is really kind of, first of all, iconic for me looking mm. back, but also you place yourself as being a 10 year old kid as my dad was, for example, watching this in 1963. And then you see that. And this guy who you've already kind of got familiar with from previous stories, who is a little bit of an action guy, gets involved in some of the, the more action scenes and the running around and the fighting and so on, all of a sudden can't use his legs because this 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 weird rolling robot alien thing you've never seen before <laughs> has turned the screen backwards. That must have yeah. been really iconic and, and, and terrifying as well, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. But in this, it's just a, a quick... And he can't walk for reasons, because they never yeah. actually say anything. No. This, you know, eventually, they say, oh, he's been stunned. It's like, um, in the, to be honest, at, at the start of this, I didn't know who was who. Between Susan and Barbara, I was I mean, there thinking, so that's... So the, I was thinking, the young one must be Susan, and, and that must be Barbara. But then Barbara calls the doctor grandfather. So I'm thinking, oh, well, is that Susan? Who's the kid? Mm. And it's just like, there's just a lot of, there's, there's a fair bit that's left unexplained that you figure out a little bit after. It's a whole different movie if the 11 year old is Barbara uh, and Ian's <laughs> turning up at the door right at the beginning to say, oh, oh, I'm God. taking Barbara out on a date. <laughs> we're, back, we're back to the nonce teachers. <laughs> we, we are back to the nonce box, aren't we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Let, let's, let's not do that. No, that's not. Um, effectively, we have a scenario where somebody has to be sent out to get more of the drug that the Doctor and his crew were left as a present outside the TARDIS. Susan is the only one who seems able to actually get about. The others are sicker than she is. Maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. And obviously, Ian is, has been you know paralyzed by a strong can of sure antiperspirant being sprayed at him. And <laughs> or maybe, John, maybe it's because she's part fucking alien and it, she's more immune to radiation poisoning than than humans would be. Wow. If that was the case, the doctor would be as well. And it's just not explained because they didn't care enough to fucking do it. Nope. Again, mirrors the original show. Susan has to go out and, and look for more of this because the Daleks want the the drugs, the antidote, whatever it may well be, to be able to leave their casing and not be yeah. stuck in the Dalek metal rolling, I suppose, prison in a way for them as it's portrayed here. The battle tanks, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting idea um, that, you know, that they're stuck inside. And it's actually it actually speaks to a lot of what we've seen and a lot of that we'll come to understand about the Daleks because later on when they do get one of the the Daleks out of the casing, we do have a hint of, of what they look like within. But again, they do that and then they just leave it. Yeah. I'm going to come to that as well. There's, I've got a big beef about that as well. And it comes back to Ian not giving a shit again. But anyway. <laughs> <what> <laughs> Um, Susan gets sent out into the, back into the forest to go and find more of this drug because the Daleks want it and, and so on. We then get a lengthy explanation from the Daleks of, oh, when we get more drugs, shall we let them have some? And then the other Daleks like, hell no, Dalek man, we ain't doing that. They're like just chatting <laughs> away and, you know, and it's, it's very strange. Um, it turns out that the, 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 the original, 
antidote to this original set of drugs that uh, can fight the radiation sickness was left by a foul who is a um, one of the race of fowls that is living on this planet in the swamp and the jungle and so on, just out in the, in the elements. Yeah. Again, sorry, just to cut you off, the, the, the scene with Susan running through the forest with the thunder and lightning going and, and, and something obviously pursuing her, mm-hmm. that was good. Right. Uh, okay. I, I thought that was all right. That, you know. Here is where I'm going to be positive about this. Holy so ho- balls. Hold on to your hats. Make a timestamp, everyone. This is where it's going to happen. Visually, because they've got a bigger budget and they've got the, um, the, the color aspect as well. Visually, there are moments in this movie that I think look fucking incredible. We haven't got computer-generated um, you know, special effects and so on. Because that just wasn't on the cards back then, back in '65. So everything has to be a a practical effect or a model or an actual set that they have built. Mm. You've then got the aspect of the lighting and what they do with the mist and all this sort of stuff. There are certain moments in this movie I'm watching, even though it's pushing 60 years old. I'm watching it and I'm thinking that looks bloody brilliant. And this is one of them in the original mm. s- series. Whenever and it goes back to the same as when we saw. Uh, the doctor, Ian, Barbara, Susan, and so on running through the forest in an earthly child when, when they, you know, they're out with it, with the cavemen and that it's, it's, it's kind of filmed like that. And it looks nowhere near as good in the movie here. You're spot on Dan. It looks really, yeah. really good. It looks really effective. Yeah. With the, with the, with the fluorescence as well, you know, that the, the cloak's got, it's um, yeah, it, it looks good. And, and you know, the, the thought you really get a, you know, a bit of a sense of, of, of the Thals being alien, you know, through the, the body paint and, and, and the makeup and all of that. And then the fact that they, weirdly, they take the time with the Thals, with the Thals to, to mention that the form that they have now, it was the one that were, that evolution deemed uh, best for survival after yeah. the nuclear, after the nuclear war that destroyed the planet. So, so they could do it. They had bits where they've gone to the, they've taken the time to say, this is the history of the, of the planet. Yeah. And here's why everything's booked. Yeah. Uh, I mean, effectively, Susan gets back to the TARDIS because she needs to pick up these little, um, this, this, this little gift that was left for her. And then she turns around inside the TARDIS uh, and Julian Clary is there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he, I, mean, I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're spot on. And he's like, well, I'm glad you got the drugs. They're a present from me. And but which you, you know, could have left a note. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> anyway, uh, they, Susan then very trustingly explains to old Julian that this is the situation. Her friends are in the city and, and so on. And, you know, the fowls are, they're in need of food, but they've got this cure for the radiation poisoning. The fowl then gives her some more mm. to use on her friends. So then she can give some to the Daleks. When they arrive, when Susan then arrives back at the city, she's on this little platform and scanned, and it's like, oh, you're hiding something from us. And I suppose something we didn't touch upon at the very beginning. Some of the Daleks here, it's a different design Dalek than what we're used to in the 60s. They're much bigger. They've got a bigger platform at the bottom. They're all different colors. And yeah, some of absolutely. them have... But still very Dalek. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of them have um, like metal clamps rather than the plunger. Mm. Which is very handy for you know, for example, when we see the, <laughs> I see the, what the you did there. handy. Oh, I didn't even think of that. 
<laughs> it's very useful then shall we say when we see the the waiter dalek later on who seems his only role is to bring ian and barbara food and water i don't know if he's trying to plump them <laughs> up because he this dalek keeps bringing them snacks he will not leave off you know it's okay, the dalek. yeah it's like come on mate i'm full night stop bringing me that green sludge i'm done but anyway <laughs> This one Dalek with a little metal clampy thing finds these extra drugs. And then the Daleks are like, oh, yeah, you can use them on your mates. You're all right. That made no sense. It's very undalek like Yeah. Well, and even though this is different, even though this film is different, so we can understand if there's certain aspects of the Daleks that aren't the same, they literally said 20 minutes ago, ah, oh, no, let them die. It makes no sense. Ah, oh, but it's okay. They've got a bit extra now, so they can use that, but it's fine. But then the whole point of the movie after this moment is that they need lots more. So why are they giving it away? Because the plot needed them to. Dear me. That's why. Uh, It's not designed to be thought about a whole lot of this. It's not. I mean, I'm not being funny, mate. I don't think in depth into anything. And I still picked holes in this. (laughs) You know? You're doing yourself yourself a bit of a disservice there, but, but, but yeah. <laughs> the basic gist of what we then have going forward for the rest of the rest of the movie, I think we're about 40 minutes into the film now, so we're roughly halfway-ish, give or take, is that the Daleks have food, the Fowls want food. The yeah. Fowls have cure for the radiation sickness or poisoning, and the Daleks want that. Yeah. So Susan writes a letter to the Fowls surrounded by lava lamps uh, and so on because obviously the daleks you know they they shop on scaro ikea and <laughs> that she she has quite a funky looking dalek pen as well which i quite liked it was yeah. just basically a, a biro with one of the rain bits of a dalek stuck on the end i want that pen i thought that was quite cool if, if nothing else these daleks have got the branding on point oh without a doubt yeah they they know what they're doing and they've got the decor as well in in their city you know, yeah, okay, it's not necessarily going to wash now, but when they're running around all the different corridors and so on, I mean, it's all painted out nice, isn't it? You know, and they've got bits yeah. of um, bit, bits of different fabrics and colours stuck to the wall all over the place and all that. It looks very sci-fi for 1965, you know? So I don't know yeah, if that was our friend, our friend Butler Dalek from earlier who took care of that or what. I don't know, but they did well. I'd love to see the uh, the, the Dalek Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen who, did, who decked it all out. Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Just like on the end of his plunger, one of those long frilly sleeve bits. Yeah. You know? Another <laughs> one on the end of his on the end of his cannon that it just gets tangled up and he can't shoot anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um Susan writes a letter to the Fowls. It gets left at the edge of the city or the where the city turns into the forest. Do you know, for for the for the amount the dialects talk in this. I'm really annoyed we didn't get to see a Dalek in, you know, they're just going, take a letter, dear Fowls. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're, I hope you I hope this finds you well. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this finds you well, Soz, for the bombings. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing well. Um, but their Dalek <laughs> makes lovely sandwiches. Um, <laughs> we, we, we'd like to have you for tea and crumpets. How is the weather down there in the swamp? Are you okay? <laughs> also, sod about the mutant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Susan's then put back into the little prison cell thingy where Butler Dalek just keeps fucking feeding everyone. And they decide that there's a cat. Well, they notice there's a camera there. And that's how the Daleks are finding out about their links with the fowls or Susan's no, link with the no fowl anyway. Fucking shit. And. 
then they're like, oh, we better break this. And it's not even like it, it's a tiny little hidden, it's a fucking great massive Dalek eye sticking out of the wall. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, what is this? It's like, come on, mate. <laughs> it's so shit. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it, it this really does play into my, uh, my love of, of terrible movies. Mm, yeah. The the scene then that they've disabled the the ice stick, and they decide that they need to escape. And to do this, they need to disable a Dalek. So the Doctor and Ian and and the others figure out that the Daleks are drawing their power from the metal floor, mm-hmm. which is why they can't leave. The <laughs> like like dodge jumps. <laughs> yeah, and and this again is part of the original um original story and it it plays into when we saw dalek invasion of earth i think that might be in our yeah. first season dan or our second i think so yeah. the, the daleks in that have like a little mini almost satellite dish on their back yeah and that's there to explain away why all of a sudden the daleks can move around not on the metal floor that was in this story so it's got right, a continuity okay. to it so i like that actually uh, then yeah 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 it's very clever and they decide that they need to blind the Dalek and then make the Dalek not touch the floor. So yeah. they've got this they've got this cape or, or what looks like a bit of a, a tatty blanket that the foul it's, gave. It's, it's Aladon's cloak. Right. Okay. And put some, they put decide... some respect on the ceremonial dress of the Fals. <laughs> it's basically some dirty old Mac to stop him getting wet in the swamp. Let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> right. <It's... laughs> And he's given it to an 11-year-old girl as well as some drugs. This guy needs to be watched. But anyway, we're having the- <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> they decide that they're going to use the... And again, very similar to the original series. They're going to use this, uh, this, this Macintosh effort to disconnect the Dalek from the floor. But they need to blind the Dalek as well. And Barbara realizes, hey, but the Dalek screwed up. He's bought us so much food. We've got extras. Let's smudge some mushy peas on his eye. Except it doesn't look like mushy peas, does it? Because what she picks up is brown mush. So it looks like Barbara has effectively blinded the Dalek with a handful of shit. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And the way that is done <laughs> as well. The Dalek, she's given the Dalek pink eye. <laughs> <laughs> Dalek pink eye. <laughs> There's a T-shirt in that. Um- <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Uh, no, especially a Dalek. Um, they, they managed to get the Dalek onto the cape. And then they're trying to blind the Dalek and the Dalek's frantically moving around. And whilst all this is going on, the most ridiculous moment potentially of the whole film, Barbara goes, hey, Dalek. And the Dalek stops what it's doing, turns towards her and goes, yes. And then she smashes the shit on its face. It's that moment of the Dalek just stopping what it's doing because some pretty girl has gone, hey, Dalek. It was just like, oh, come on. you know. <laughs> yeah. But again, very slapstick. Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you just go, why wouldn't you just say to an alien battle tank, hey, Dalek, and then shove shit in its face? <laughs> all those times, Daleks have destroyed planets, invaded worlds, and caused all, oh, that's all they had to do. Just get a blonde of a cute arse just to go, hey, Dalek, and go, oh, hello, and then just whack it with mushy peas and turd, and you're, all, and you're, and you're dead. <laughs> you know? Basically, what this boils down to is in, <laughs> you just wanted to see Billy Piper flinging her own shit around. <laughs> you, oh, absolute, you, absolute, you absolute pervert 
Again, that would make it a whole different show, wouldn't it? It would just <laughs> there's, be, yeah. There's Chris um, Eccleston cowering behind the control unit in the TARDIS going, stop it, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and it oh, God, it, and, and later on when when Matt Smith and, and that are like cycling through the desks, desks sort of thing, this was his grunge face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You, you've redecorated. I don't like shit. <laughs> You've redecorated. I had to. This one companion I had threw her turd everywhere. <laughs> you had the round things. I had the brown things. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so since that was more entertaining than what we're watching, um, the Daleks very weak, you know, in terms of physical maneuverability. Well, we're going to get to that because we're very much quickly, even though there's still a long time left of the movie, there's a lot of stuff that's not important. <laughs> so we're getting to the end of the film very quickly here. Um, yeah. Ian and the Doctor decide to open a Dalek up and then one of them can get in the Dalek and they can act like it's um, a guard maneuvering them around and they can escape. Clever plan. Hmm. This is the moment I mentioned uh, a, few mo- a few minutes ago, Dan, that really pissed me off. Because Ian and the Doctor open the Dalek. There's absolute zero reaction to what's in there. Yeah. Right? They scoop it out in in you know the Fowl's old Mac. And the Doctor kind of just lobs it in or Ian lobs it into the corner. You know, just like whoop, off you go, splat. And <laughs> I, I, Ian comically just sort of goes like Billy Piper throwing her own. Yeah, like, like Billy Piper chucking. <laughs> Because I want to. Because I want to. Um, <laughs> why do you have to go and lob your chart? Because I want to. Um, <laughs> because because I want poo. Oh dear. Um, oh fuck. They then get Ian just gets in the dialect and and that's it. Off they go. And he's like, oh, there's lots of buttons in here. Should I press some stuff and all that sort all that sort of nonsense? In the original, they open it up. And if my memory serves, and I could be completely wrong here, and I imagine... It very rarely does. Well, yeah. (laughs) I think it's obviously, first of all, portrayed with a lot more, oh, my God, what's that inside and all this sort of stuff. We don't actually see it. The way that they film this with regards to a little bit of it sticking out underneath the the, the cape is kind of how they do it in the original as well. Mm. But they send Barbara away in the original because it's that horrible. They don't want her to see it. And it's a real subtle little thing they do there, but it's really clever because they don't actually have to show what's in there, but they portray, they get across. Yeah. This is not for everyone. Yeah. But whereas in this movie, we just get, I'll pop the Dalek open that sloppy bit, lob it in the corner. Away you go, Ian. <laughs> it's just, it's just don't, the big don't, thing don't, for me is, don't talk about lobbing sloppy bits after what we've just been saying. <laughs> the big thing for me <laughs> that I'm picking up on in this as we talk about it more is it's it's like you said they took the edge off so much of it but also I'm just thinking just try a bit harder you can take the edge off you can stop it being so scary if you're aiming at a certain market but you could also do things in a different way that makes it a little bit more convincing that there should be peril involved i'm not saying terrifying to young children but there should be peril involved on an alien planet with these creatures rolling around zapping them with with fire extinguishers paralyzing people left right and center they're gonna kill all the fowls and all this sort of stuff 
Then they finally open one up and they're just like, whoop, scoop that out. Okay, off we go. It's just, it's, it's just, just try harder. It's such a wasted opportunity. Yeah, it really is. And the, 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 the tease of the Dalek hand, foot, penis that just like sneaks out from under the cape, that goes fucking nowhere. Um, it, it's just, it, it's just more, just more stuff in this film that would have been made better, like you say, if they'd have just put a bit more thought into it, if they'd have had somebody or a few people on the crew that actually gave half a shit. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, another moment here where I'm going to, where I'm going to give it a bit of praise. Uh, they're escaping. They can't get Ian out of of the Dalek, but eventually he does escape and all this sort of stuff. But there's a scene where the Daleks are cutting through a door. Yes, that was good. They have Welder Dalek arrive. He's 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 done fixing their fiestas and whatnot. They need to get around their city. He's come over and he's he's using his little welder tool to cut (laughs) through. He's fixed the pipe so the shit doesn't blow everywhere. Exactly, (laughs) and that looked again visually. That was that was a great effect. I thought that was very very good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that looked fantastic, and it was nice to actually see them cutting through the door because so often you don't see that. But I did like them uh, as well when they were fooling the Dalek and you know saying he's taking the prisoners wherever, and and they actually again took the time to say, "Oh, wait for the Daleks to figure out the pl- uh, that they've been fooled." Mm. I didn't mind that. I thought that was good. It's just again, there's so much of this. Just it, it takes so long without much happening. Um, or it feels yeah, like it's, it's, it's and, and we're going to get more of it later because you know they're escaping now, and, and we do get the the peril of, of the door being cut through and Ian not able to get out of the Dalek. But then, oh, he's out and he's in the lift. He's in mm. he's in the he's in the conveniently designed lift that can inefficiently only tran- only transport one Dalek at a time. Yeah, it's not a good look, man. Uh, in the in the meantime, as all this is going on, however, the fowls have read Susan's note and they're turning up at the city for a great feast. They're going to pick up loads of grub because the Daleks want to be their mates, they think. And yeah. all the fowls are arriving and, and we've got a great mix here. Well, first of all, we, we, we in a moment, we see the fowls in their own environment a bit more. They're in a swamp. They're in this forest. They're in this this rough terrain. I want to know what conditioner they use because their hair for being in that scenario is far too shiny. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? The skin's yeah. clear, hair's nice, yeah. teeth, teeth are immaculate. There we go. There we go. But they arrive and they've obviously been to um, uh, the Ikea on Skyro as well because they've all gone and picked up a load of wicker baskets. To Hang on, we've, we've missed, we've missed, we've, we've glossed over quite a bit here. Okay. Um, because the or am I oh no wait, I think I'm getting confused now. See, this is a problem. It it's doing the Doctor Who thing of escape, capture, go back in, escape again. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, the the Thals are getting in the city with the baskets for the food that's in giant Lego bricks and yeah. Sorry, mm. I got completely lost in in where we were in the story then for a second. I think the people who rewrote this in places from the TV show also got completely lost, but never mind. Um, (laughs) They're arriving. The doctor manages to just press through a door just in time to say, no, it's a trap run. Everyone pegs it apart from one foul who gets absolutely doused with the antiperspirant spray and he's dead. (laughs) And (laughs) 
Shabbily dressed man felled, felled by deodorant. Was he a wrestling fan? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, man. Um, everyone escapes then. And they all go back to the forest. And we get a moment here that's incredibly undoctor-like. But again, it's, it's a different scenario. He's not even from Gallifrey in this, I suppose. But mm. we're, we're talking about the doctors leaving. They're all just going, yep, yeah, okay, we're, we're off now. And hope you get all this Dalek problem sorted out. But, you know, we'll be thinking of you, but we got to go home. Um, Ian's thinking, sound, I get to nip out with Barbara and catch that movie and all that sort of stuff. And <laughs> if he's, they, Ian's still at half-mast, so he wants to get Exactly. Out. Yeah, exactly. But... They all go into the TARDIS. They all start it up, and it makes a funny noise. <laughs> and, and then they're like, "Oh, that bloody fluid link! We're so daft. We're going to have to go was, back and get it." It was a step oh away. It God. was a step away from them saying, "But I thought you had it. But I thought you had it. You were supposed to remember it. No, you were supposed to remember it." Oh, it's not. Oh my goodness! In the meantime, but it gives, we, but it gives them an excuse to to rally the files. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the meantime, we find out the Daleks are going to wipe everything out with another bomb. Yeah. Sorry, I do like as well that the, the Doctor's now all about the Thals fighting back against the Daleks and defending themselves when it benefits him. Oh, yeah. He wants his little fluid link back. He's thinking, I ain't going back in there on my own. No yeah. chance. You, you've got Daleks rolling around spraying you antiperspirant. You've got people collapsing because their legs don't work anymore. You've got that one Dalek who keeps bringing me mushy peas. I want no more of this nonsense. You know, so he needs an army. <laughs> so he's I can't, really, eat, I can't eat any more baby food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's he's convincing the fowls to fight. And they're a peace-loving race. They don't want no part of it. Uh, and this, this really tickled me. This was so funny. The doctor notices that the one foul, um, the Julian Clary one, the one who was in it originally, what was his name? Aladon. That's the one. He he is quite sweet on a, a lady foul, and they seem quite pally. So the doctor decides, okay, we're going to take her and give her to the Daleks <laughs> to try and get to try and get this foul to show a bit of fight. And of course he does. And the doctor tells Ian, Ian, you can grab her and take her off. So the foul gets up and just fucking lamps Ian. It's brilliant. He's <laughs> <laughs> great. Oh. Yeah. But he's, the doctor's just going, see though, you will fight for something, especially if your brain's in your dick. Exactly. And it, and of course, or, Ian, or, as, or as I've got in my notes, Fanny conquers all. <laughs> and of course Ian's led on the floor looking, you know, we're, we're, you know, looking up at Barbara going, I, I don't like getting punched, but I can see where you're coming from, pal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we then get a moment that shows how fucking stupid Ian is again. They're going through this deadly swamp. People have died. Oh, there. yeah. They're sort of, they've decided to split up, haven't they? They're sending Ian, Barbara, and a couple of the files to, to, to find a way through this, this deadly impassable swamp. You know, yeah. but like it's supposed to be a big against the odds. How are we ever going to do it? And it's like, okay, off we go. Yeah. No. Oh, and and they're trudging through the, the swamp, and there's you know, there's stories about how people have fallen in, and they find bits of them, and there's the mutants, and all this, uh, everything's sludgy and gross out there, and all this sort of stuff. And halfway through their journey, Ian just goes, "Well, I need a wash," so he dives on dying. And he's yeah. not scooping at this water that you can't see through with the initial shot. So it looks like dirty water just to give his face a bit of a scrub. And I'm thinking, what the fuck are you doing? 
part of me wish you know that scene in Terminator 2 where she envisions Sarah Connor envisions that bomb going off <laughs> and you, you see all the people and their skin peeling off their face and the flesh going and all that right yeah. I wanted that to happen to Ian right then for just being a dumbass why oh, are you yeah, washing you... your face in the swamp I wanted it to be like Raiders of the Lost Ark when they open the yeah. Ark of the Covenant and that guy's face melts yeah exactly yeah, what an idiot. He's a penis. And then he fits himself because there's the, the more he says there are mutations and and whatnot and, and, and horrible things in this in this swamp. Mm. But no, he, he sticks his face in there as a wash, poos his pants, runs away. Yeah. And then and then it gets even madder because we find out that in this swamp is actually fresh drinking water that the Daleks use. Do you think Daleks kind of, thirsty? Maybe. I don't know. It's never entered my mind before. Because, well, it's kind of the, the the battle armor and the tank thing also doubles as life support, so I imagine they've gone past the need for food and they're just like intravenously fed all nutrition and hydration. Mm, yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Because they don't have mouths. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I suppose well, if they well, were thirsty, how would they? Uh, there'd be no practical way of getting that into them, other than like you said, the life support system they're already in. I suppose, wouldn't it? <laughs> hydrate, hydrate. Um, <laughs> Just nipping off to the fridge, getting out yeah. a can of cold iron brew or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we know that. We know that. Um, I feel like Daleks would be on Doctor Pepper, the the shittest of the soft drinks. I like Doctor Pepper. Of course you do. Um, you get that one uh, Dalek that gets really narky because they want a sugar-free one. He's watching his weight or something. And there's there's one smarmy one who's, who will only drink appetizer. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just the one. There's just the one dickhead in the corner who, who insists on slur. Yeah, that'd be the Lawrence Allen Bowen Dalek. That one. One hundred percent. But one thing that bugs me about this swamp swamp scene as well is we're told about all these mutations and all like that. We don't actually get to see even a hint of them. There's nothing, because one of the files stops to refill the water bottles. We hear a scream, we come back, and it's quite obvious that he's drowning. And it's like, okay, I understand that horror is often, uh, you know, things are at the scariest when you can't see the face and whatnot. But we didn't even see a hint of anything. We just, oh, he's dead. And that's how the story treats him. That's how the other characters treat him. And it's just like, oh, well, that, that one's gone. Let's go climb this big thing follow the pipes, climb the thing. And I will give them credit because when they're climbing, they actually put some effort into the backdrop. Again, visually, and it leads to another scene that we're getting to now, visually, it looked good again. They, took, they even took the time to, to sort of chart the passage of time in the climb. They moved the the moon in the sky. I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they did. Oh, brilliant. But then this then leads to well, the doctor has another plan. He's he's seen this the, the foul ladies doing their hair and whatnot in these little mirrors and asks for as many mirrors as they can get. So he's got a plan with those. Back with Barbara and Ian and so on, they have to um, climb this cliff and then jump a big gap. One of the fouls is is acting like a bit of a shit house at this point. He's not too sure about the whole thing and yeah. You know, I don't. That annoyed me a bit, but whatever. Well, they do, the thing is, they do have names these stars, but they only use them like once each. One of them, one of them that is called Ganatos, and I can't okay. remember what the other one's called. But yeah, that one of them's wanting to go back, even though there's mutants out there and they're, they're in relatively safety net. 
relative safety now. There's a random cave in after one of them after Ganatos twats him. Mm. So they can't turn back anyway. And it's like it's kind of it's filler, but at least they've set up a, a bit of peril. But yeah. actually, when they jump in the, the uh, jump in the crevasse, I fully expected one of them to die. I thought Ian was gonna fall. Just oh, you, were, no, you, were, you, were, you were hoping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ian, the thing is, Ian is such a bell end in this. He's more likely to forget how gravity works and end up flying off into space. Yeah, I miss, I miss Cardigan, Ian. You miss, you, miss Card- you miss Cardi, man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the, they get into the, the city, but this is where we get the, the, the spectacular scene of the Daleks deciding that they're going to you know, use their facilities, I suppose. The Doctor and the Fowls are outside the city, shining these mirrors to you know, sort of disable their sensors and so on. And, mm. you know. and then the cliff just in front of the city opens up yes. with this huge light. And then beyond that, Daleks come out of these doorways. And again, the, the colours, the visual, and the fact that it's not CGI, which we've discussed numerous times already, Dan, haven't we, that it yeah. ages quite quickly. This again, sixty-year-old television or movie. Sorry, this looks fucking brilliant. It really did. I was not expecting that. It looked no. absolutely awesome. But you it's, know, the, it means the, it means the files run off, and the Doctor and Susan get caught again. And um, I think Aladon, because obviously I've seen the main characters all there. Yeah, um, the Daleks explain that they've got this bomb, and they basically do the whole James Bond thing of giving everyone their plan. Yep, and they're like, "We'll begin the countdown." Well, when are we gonna let off the bomb? And the other Daleks like immediately. So like, okay, then. So they start a countdown that begins at one hundred. And I'm thinking, is that necessary? Uh, for the plot, yes. Well, yeah, okay, for the plot, yes. But I like my plots to make sense. Why don't I just press a button and blow the shit out of the place? It just lacks drama, and Daleks are all about theatrics. Yeah, it's true, but you can explain that away. You can add something into the story of we need this reactor to reach a certain temperature or we need this oh, particular yeah, machine to, you know, and that's why the countdown, we can't explode until this point. That's the earliest we can do it because we're a big evil monsters and we want to go, everyone to go kaboom, but we can't do it until then because of the machinery we're using rather than mm-hmm. just going, let's destroy them all now, but in a hundred seconds. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's like I say, it's so so often you can see what they're aiming for. And mm. they, they, again, you, you spot them with the Bond comparison. I mentioned it in the opening. Some of this is a little bit James Bond. Yeah. But not in but not in a great way. No. It's just, yeah. Um, and, and again, the, the Thals are then very quick to turn, as, as quick as Ian is to accept situations. The Thals are just like, well, we resolved to fight, so let's go fight again. Yeah. Um, but let's go rescue <laughs> the Doctor and Susan. Because they're our friend, they're our friends now. The guy who decided to warmonger for us and then threatened to sell my girlfriend out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Julian Clare is like, oh man, he's 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 ignited a fire in my belly. I'm gonna go to fight for him now. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a lot like of it I doesn't say, make sense. But as far as turn your brain off viewing goes, it, it kind of, it. There's elements of it that do work in that respect. If you just wanted to watch something that's vaguely sci-fi and will occupy time and, and you're not too fussed about it being brilliant, but mm. you don't want it to be shit, this fits very much into that slot. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. But as well, the Doctor... It, sorry, just to go back, I said referred to the Doctor as a warmonger before because that's what he was. 
The doctor's then offering to reverse engineer the fluid link and he's offering the Daleks the secrets to space and time travel. Why? Yeah. Again, it's very undalek, undoctor-like, isn't it? But it's all, and I kind of get it, it's all to save his own skin and then to save the Thals and whatnot. But uh, it's just, again, it's that thing, it's just, eh. Okay. Let's get down to it then. The final scene, the 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 big uh, the big sort of conclusion to this. We've got that yeah. countdown ticking down, ready to explode and kill everybody. Everyone is now met back up. The fowls are in the city. Ian, Barbara, uh, the fowls that they were with. Everyone's there. We get a moment. Sorry, but just before that, again, visually, this was impressive. Where Ian, Barbara, and the fowls there with get into a lift to escape a Dalek, and we see the Dalek shoot the floor, and then we of the lift from below and then we get a shot from inside the lift showing mm. the floor explode upwards towards them that again looked really good i think yeah, yeah it did it did look good and you know they, they saved they did save a big set piece for last um mm-hmm. it's just a shame that a lot of it was a bit daft yeah in places and so much of it revolved around uh, fire extinguishers this is true. This is true. The the control room, the Dalek control room, I think, again, looked very good. Considering yeah. the time and so on. I thought that was quite a, a good set there. Everyone basically runs into the control room. They're attacking Daleks. They're using ropes to slide them around. And and this, I suppose, comes back to your point earlier on, Dan, when you said about how easy the Daleks are to manoeuvre. Mm. Because they're effectively... I suppose if, if you get a, mass, a massive group of, you know, fouls or whatever all running in at once grabbing Daleks, spinning them around and the, the chaos and the sheer number could cause a problem but yeah. at the same time it made them look a bit silly i think the daleks it did it did because they're supposed to be in full control when they're on when they're on those metal floors yeah and they're either, you can only move them once you've deactivated them you know once you've deactivated the armor whereas here mm. they just you know they were they were really struggling with one dalek and yet all of a sudden the Thals can can manoeuvre them perfectly. What I did like was the instances where people acted as targets, ducked, and then got, you know, directed the Daleks own weaponry against them. That was clever, that makes sense. And, and we saw it um earlier this season with the the New Year's Eve special that we did, you know, with uh, with Ashland oh, being yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, that made sense. And you know, we have seen Daleks manoeuvred around easily before in in modern Who. Uh, but that was in the two part that we covered with uh, with Chris Lewis. But that was because Donna Noble had, had affected the controls. She'd done something to the Daleks mm-hmm. to make them that way. These ones, they're just like, oh yeah, the Thals can just manoeuvre them. It's fine. But I, I suppose I can't believe I'm going to try and defend this. But it comes back to the original show and the movie as well. Mm. These Daleks, this is the first time we've seen the Daleks. for the TV show. Then this is the first time we've seen the Daleks. This is the first time we've seen them ever. Mm. They are kind of primitive because this is the beginning of it. They're they're on Scaro still, and they can't move off the metal plate. And, and the next story we see them in, we have an explanation with the disc on their back and stuff. So we're seeing an evolution of them. These early version yeah. of Daleks maybe are a little bit easier to to get at potentially. Fair point. Yeah, that's a fair point. No, I'll accept that. But it's still it, it's still a bit. It's still a, a touch daft. Yeah. But again, it plays into that whole thing of the, the making it, you know, that as, sorry, I'll get my words together properly and actually form a sentence. Um, <laughs> they're putting forth something 
that will that is essentially fun for all ages and not too not too difficult to digest mentally. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, the end is Ian standing in front of the controls with the Doctor shouting, "Stop the countdown!" He shouts, "Hey, Daleks!" The Daleks turn around, uh, disappointed that it's not Barbara again, so decide to shoot <laughs> Ian. And he ducks, and they shoot their own control unit, stopping the countdown with three seconds left. Everything goes boom, crash, bang, wallop. The Daleks are all dead, and that's kind of the end of it, isn't it? And and Ian was finally useful. Yeah. But then, needlessly, the countdown stops with three seconds to go, and Ian's just like, oh, my lucky number. Yeah. Nobody cares, Ian. You did one good thing, sit the fuck down. Go go back to the back of the class with the safety scissors and the crayons, (laughs) and just just stop for a bit. The the next, and again, I suppose that the, the closing scenes from this are, in a nutshell, what I think about this film, I suppose. Because there's a moment that I think is good that's instantly took away. And that, I feel, is a theme throughout the whole program. The moment we get where the Doctor and his companions are leaving and they're saying goodbye to the Fowls after vanquishing their opponents and so on, and we have the Fowls trying to understand what a handshake is and all that. Mm. I, I love stuff like that. And that's a big thing from Classic Who that I don't think we do enough of in New Who, the actual saying goodbye to the, the, the sort of people they're leaving behind and so on. Mm-hmm. And they do this, and, and the fowls um, thank the doctor, and, and they give them some tatty old curtains as a going away gift or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And they get in the TARDIS, and I'm thinking, okay, that's all right, that's all right. They set off in the, in the TARDIS to get back home, land, open the door, and there's stock footage of loads of Romans marching towards the door. And then we get Ian running around like a lunatic, hitting controls and shouting, "Oh my god!" And it's all slapstick again, and that's the end of the film. That ending, sucked. that ending sucked. Opening the door and seeing the Romans was good. Yeah. Ian's reaction was OTT bullshit that he should have been doing all fucking movie. Yeah, exactly. Why now does he care? Why now does he give a shit? He's been on a different yeah. planet with petrified trees and, you know, Daleks giving him mushy peas and jumping canyons and climbing mountains and all that. And now all of a sudden he's a bit like, whoop, guys in leather, I'm running. You know, it's like, what's, what's wrong with a dude? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's all a bit all over the place in that regard. And, you know, so much of this is because the plot needed it and yep. or, be, or because they wanted some slapstick comedy. And this is more about Ian as a slapstick comedy vehicle rather than a character because they just do the comedy stuff and then hope for the best. There's very little consistency in the way he's written. Um, the Doctor is almost a non-entity, apart from his strategizing with the Thals and, and being a bit of a warmonger and then you know, trying to negotiate with the Daleks. But in terms of screen time, that's bugger all. Um, mm. Barbara, Barbara's a spare part. And, and after... Yeah, well, I think the only one who's consistently good throughout the film and, and true to her character is Susan, but she barely gets a word in in the second sort of half of the film. Yeah. It's yeah. the thing is, I, the thing is, I can I can still see again what they were aiming for. It's it is for all of the for all the problems and, and you know when you can analyze it and go into the nitty-gritty gritty of it and see what doesn't make sense and all the rest of it. It feels like this was designed to be 
easy, you know, take the kids to the cinema. Everybody comes away and says, no, that was all right. You know, it's, it's been boiled down to that. Or it's something that they could run on a Sunday afternoon. Lazy Sunday afternoon, you know, five o'clock, just had a big Sunday roast, bob it on. And then, you know, that's enough time for your food to digest and then you go on to something more entertaining. But it, it, it switch your brain off viewing. It doesn't mean, it, it, it's not awful. It falls, but it, but it does fall very flat. It, it's, it's almost aggressively mediocre. Yeah, I think you're spot on. A, a, a mediocre is a really good way of, of putting it. Um, I, I could come at it an, another angle, I suppose, in that mm. this is 1965. Color television was still very much... I mean, it, it was around, of course, but it was very much a case of not available. M many houses didn't have TVs at all, never mind black and white or color. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the following year, obviously, 66, England won the World Cup. My dad tells a story about having to go to the street over from where he lived to watch it on a colour television because that was the only person they knew who had one and all this sort of stuff. Mm. I wonder if... We, we've touched upon how visually there are aspects of this that are fantastic. That it, it, it holds up in present day in a kind of 60s sci-fi way. It, it still looks good if you, if you know what you're, what you're sort of talking about. I wonder if they take this story, water it down, take the edge off to coin your phrase, Dan, and they're more, they're more adamant about pushing the visual as the spectacle, the visual as the selling yeah, point than the, story, than the story itself. Mm. You know? Yeah, could well be. Could well be. Um, you know, like I say, visually very good. That um, they obviously had a bit to play with in that regard, even down to the flower and, and the detailing on the capes and and bits and pieces like that. That maybe is a bit of uh, a bit of form over function, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be interesting to see. Next week, I believe it is, isn't it? Our final countdown episode, our, our usual charting episode of the season. Yeah, it is next week. Uh, this will be lucky to make mid-table, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think this is... I, I, know I've been, I know I've been more generous with it than you, but it's still nowhere near as good and nowhere near as fun as a lot of the stuff that we've covered this season because it's been another bloody good season. It has, mate. It has. I wonder I as well that... if I'm mm. more critical because I've seen the original TV programme and I remember that quite favourably. But again, could well I, be. Could be, I could be wrong. I could go back and watch that original black and white uh, six-parter or whatever it may well be from, from 1963-64 and have the same issues with it that I have with this film. I just remember it favourably. I could be completely wrong. But mm. I wonder if that's if that's making my opinions of this lower than, than yours, potentially. It could well be. And I think it would be, I think what we'll do next season is uh, we'll stick to our formula of sort of 12 regular episodes and two specials. Mm -hmm. But I think in a, in a, in a sort of one-off, I think we'll go with your idea and next season, one of the specials uh, will be, um, will be the Daleks. Yeah. That's a good show. Because otherwise, good. otherwise we have to wait till unless one of our guests picks it. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have to, you know, wait until season seven 
and we both know what our memories are like. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what we were talking about now. Um, <laughs> something about uh, mushy peas. Yeah, and, and Rose throwing shit around or something. Um, <laughs> anyway, I've still had a blast talking about this with you as much as I maybe didn't enjoy the actual program itself. I'm looking forward to our countdown episode next week. I always have a great time doing those, and it takes me forever to get them in order, but I love it, and I love hearing your viewpoints and how they may differ from ours, and also uh, the people on Twitter who listen to the show at the doctor who pod on twitter they give it they give us our their list of how how they rank what we've talked about and i think that's always fascinating as well um before we get there though dan i suppose we're done for the day so do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and all the great stuff you're involved in online my friend yeah uh, you can find me on twitter uh, at dan griffin 21 i refuse to call it x and I can't just say that I talk about out-of-date wrestling and movies anymore because uh, you can find me on SJP World Media where you're listening to this very show on The Volley with the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor uh, McCabe from Connor Knows Footy uh, covering Premier League games, doing a weekly roundup of all the uh, the Premier League action. And no doubt we'll be branching out into some uh, some European competition very soon. It's a, it's a new project that's getting off the ground um well for for, for me for myself anyway uh, having an absolute blast doing it it's been really fun going live we've just live yeah. at time recording for transfer deadline day which was which was just a great giggle it's uh, it's such a laugh recording with those two lads um, being in the chat as well when you do your live shows being in the chat and interacting with you guys is, I, I had so much fun oh good glad we're making the boss man happy that's uh that's what matters um, <laughs> 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 um, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff outside of SJP World Media, I'm on Unbooking the Territory. Uh, that's on Twitter at UTT Podcast with my co-host UTT Rob talking about the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, in our back catalogue, we do have two side projects on Booking the Tankatory, which looks at the life and times of the in-ring career of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott, and Unputting the Territory, which is the only time a wrestling belt has changed hands in legitimate sporting competition covering the Being the Elite Gator Golf Tournament. I don't know how I get talked into these things, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, We do have two side projects coming up to replace those. I can't remember if we've said on our own shows what those are yet, so I'm not going to spoil them, but we will be looking at the career of another of them, legitimately the hardest men that ever lived, uh, who was actually a wrestler in Britain uh, in the 70s. And then we will be doing a, a series of series uh, leading up to the one of the biggest wrestling matches of all time in, clu- uh, in terms of uh, viewing audience. Great stuff. Love it, mate. Absolutely love it. Uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. And I advise you to make sure you're following the network on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find that at SJP World Media and also on all your podcast players, platforms and providers and the YouTube channel as well to get all the live content we put forward, including, of course, the aforementioned volley with Dan, Matt and Connor there. But most importantly, you can find and follow this show on Facebook and Twitter as well at the Doctor Who pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod. Dan, I've had an absolute blast. It's a shame this series is coming to an end, but I'm looking forward to our chart episode next week. I always have good fun doing that. Mate. Yeah, so am I. It's one of the highlights of the season, and that's saying a lot, because I have so much fun doing these. And also, I cannot wait for maximum chaos in season five. 
<laughs> yes, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Uh, again, I've had a blast. Thank you very much, Dan. And I suppose, as always, to everyone else, thank you for listening. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, for your own sanity, do not Google Rose Tyler flinging shit. My God, there's Rule 34 out all over the place. This is harrowing. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs>